Hello there, my name is Peter Capaldi, and I am the new Doctor. Movies, no more room in hell. TV, walk here. Four games, it takes a very steady hand. Conventions. Star Trek action figures also sold separately. Comics. My spidey sense is tingling. Collectibles. Sold $325. Books. I'm a best-selling author. RPGs. Where are the Cheetos? Video games. Grab and fields. <laughs> Music. <laughs> Anime. I'm the hero. This is the GW Podcast. Hello and welcome to the G2V Podcast. I'm Scott Woodard and of course I'm joined by Arnold T. Blumberg. And today we are going to talk a little bit about the big news in the Doctor Who universe, which of course involves the casting of the 12th Doctor and an announcement that was made just yesterday as we're recording this. Uh, on August 4th of 2013, the casting of Peter Capaldi in the role of Doctor Number 12. It really is incredible to see, just to start off with, to see the level of coverage that this has gotten. And anybody, we're both American fans, anybody from this side of things particularly has certainly seen the extraordinary transformation of Doctor Who from cult icon, still a cult icon, but to a worldwide level that's never been seen before and to a level of awareness in the United States to a level that's never been seen before. And now to see every single news source that you turn to uh, whether it's Entertainment Weekly or MSNBC or CNN, all reporting the casting of the Twelfth Doctor as if it's as, as as it genuinely is extraordinary pop culture news. It's just astonishing to see that happening at all, regardless of who's being cast. That that's the thing that struck me first. Yeah, you don't really see that certainly on our shores that often when it, especially when it comes to something like a science fiction television show or even a movie in that in that case. That's true. I mean, yeah, that's um, true. It kind of transcends a lot of American stuff also. It's sort of like it's it's a carnation in a way, which I guess <laughs> which I guess is appropriate considering the source, but you know, he's he's just this phenomenal, I mean, 50 years to be passing the baton, or sonic screwdriver in this case. There we go. The first of many awful Doctor Who jokes. Um, it, yeah, it's it's such a huge thing. And this time they really made something out of it, whereas before it would normally be reported and then spread all over the news media. Uh, this one got its very own live uh, special uh, presentation on the BBC and simulcast around the world. Which, frankly, I think might have been a little excessive. But okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there was really no need for that. And besides, anybody that watched it, and I didn't, um, so yeah, I, I turn in my card, I guess, um, said that it was basically drawn out for an extremely long time just to bring him out for the equivalent of a few minutes. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say, it, and it, it was, um, I don't know, it was oddly structured, too. If, if you do get a chance to actually watch the entire presentation. I saw most of it now, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just found a lot of it to be a little strange. It is, yeah. Interviewing random people about Doctor Who, some of whom don't even get their facts straight, and Peter Davison wondering what the hell he's doing there, <laughs> and then this weird sort of montage of interviewing you know, actors and, and crew from the series over the years who are making these comments about the show... And it was very strange when you've got, you're talking to like, you know, Annika, who's talking about Matt Smith and saying how physical he is. <laughs> it was just so bizarre. It's very weird. Yeah. yeah it was very strange. And you only were, I mean, ultimately, anybody who was watching was watching for that last few minutes, so. Right. 
It's just, I just saying the rest of the stuff just seemed a little irrelevant. I think so. I think it, it almost seemed to be overextending in, in the sense of just how much they can get out of this. I, I thought a little while ago when there was the idea that something else might be coming, and they have announced as another side thing that Doctor Who Confidential is coming back, which back when the new series began in 2005 was a really nice companion piece as a weekly documentary taking a look at the making of a show. It was in an era of DVD uh, extras and Blu-ray extras, it was interesting to basically see the equivalent of that happening on screen every week along with your show. And now other shows have been doing that as well. But this one, I figured, well, that's the most obvious thing they're going to do. When Matt Smith was cast, they did a special edition of Doctor Who Confidential and did a prepared pre-film documentary piece and introduced him. This live presentation, though, was was odd. Um, and Capaldi handled it with all the dignity that <laughs> he seems to be extremely well invested with, so that's no trouble at all. And I think that's we might as well get right to that, too, which I think we both agree that this is a fantastic choice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, of course, for the last few weeks, his name has been kicked around, I mean, probably even longer. Uh, and as soon up, as I heard... It came, up, it came up very recently. Oh, did it? Yeah, it, it kind of came up... I mean, people had been mentioning him, but the very thought that he was in the running seemed to really only come up in, very recently. There were other people okay. who were like, surefire... This is what's going to happen. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I, I, when I heard the name, I leapt on board. I thought it was just a very inspired choice. Uh, and it's not just because we've seen him in Fires of Pompeii or we saw him in Torch with Children of Earth, which, you know, both are great performances and both completely different performances. Uh, but I had known of, I've known of Capaldi since 1988. When I saw him in Lair of the White Worm. I remember Lair of the White Worm very well. <laughs> I remember him from Local Hero also being a Local oh, Hero. That's right. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of those guys, I mean, it, it, with all the kind of things we talk about and we'll be talking about hopefully in episodes to come, one of the things that we certainly, uh, know when you love all these movies and TV shows are the phenomenal actors that may not be the A-list stars or the leads, but who are always a joy every time you see them turn up on screen. And Capaldi is one of those guys. He always brings everything to whatever role he does. You love watching him work. He can be very different. He's got such an expressive face. And uh, I think probably one of my biggest disappointments in media recently was he turns up at the tail end of World War Z. Mm -hmm. And he's completely wasted. Yeah. Uh, he gets literally nothing whatsoever to do except stand around and look worried. And and it's like you don't cast someone like that <laughs> and give him the standing around looking worried role. Uh, so and doesn't he get a credit for, as a WHO doctor? He gets credit as WHO doctor because he's <laughs> at the World Health Organization office in Wales, oddly enough, where when where the film ends up. And it's it's interesting that everybody started looking back and going, hey, was that a clue? Uh, <laughs> no. No, it was not a clue. Stop it. <laughs> the le yeah, the less you can link that movie to... Um, to anything. To, to anything. <laughs> but that's <laughs> another episode. Um, but yeah, very inspired choice. I'm, I'm, I was thrilled. And of course, uh, this, this should immediately segue into his age. Yes. And uh, how so many... 
what I've noticed is that the Doctor Who fans, and you know, obviously we count ourselves amongst Doctor Who fans, and we are fans of the show, right? Not just the person who's in the lead role, which is I'm uh, sure we'll need to explain uh, in many episodes to come. Always remember, oh sure, being a fan. This is the important thing. I've probably already mentioned this once before, at least. Being a fan does not mean you stop being capable of being critical of the thing of which you're a fan. And particularly with something that lasts a half a century, there can be a lot in Doctor Who that you don't find does the job well, does the job extremely well, and you can actually still be a fan. Yes, it's true. So, <laughs> so if you're out there and you don't like a particular episode and everybody online is telling you you're crazy and you feel like you're pressured into liking everything because it might go away or they'll take your Doctor Who membership card away from you, no, you get to still be a fan. You know, that's the way it works. Uh, absolutely, that's the way it works. Um, but what I was getting at, of course, was that uh, we're we're fans of you know the show. We're fans of the universe. We're fans of the stories, the plots, the uh, the the villains, the monsters. You know, it's this big, wholesome, gooey mess that is Doctor <laughs> Who. And uh, and but we, what we've noticed, of course, and certainly since this casting announcement, dig around online and you'll find these videos and responses. But it seems like there's another type of new fan, uh, and I don't want to really dig on this this topic too much right now but there is definitely a uh, a newer series fan who have had a very uh, harsh knee-jerk and ageist reaction to the casting of peter capaldi mm-hmm. uh, which i think most of us have found pretty distasteful <laughs> Anybody that knows him as an actor, anybody that knows anything else he's done, hell, anybody that's never seen him before but is capable of reading something and knowing that <laughs> he has a career and, and credits and awards, uh, he's absolutely A, qualified to do the role, <laughs> and secondly, uh, genuinely probably one of the greatest choices out there for someone who could do the role and create a unique and incredibly compelling doctor. And you mentioned Torchwood. I think the Frobisher character is like the heart of that story in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Incredibly moving performance that slowly builds to the end of that character's arc in that story. And as soon as I saw that he was cast, I thought of John Frobisher and I thought, okay, I can see that. It doesn't matter that he's appeared prior in the universe as well. I mean, look at Colin Baker and Commander Maxwell, right? So we've seen that before. But the Aegis thing is troubling. But it's also part of our culture. And it's just the way things are. And there's always going to be a group of people, a small group, who are not fans of a show because they actually are watching the show, but because it's just whatever poster person in the show is someone they're tacking on their wall. Right. And you know, on a certain level, there's nothing wrong with that either. Whether male or female, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, we, we do this in our culture with celebrity anyway. You turn people into icons for posters and you're attracted to these people and you're supposed to be. That's the whole point. But if you base your entire love of the show around that, 
and someone else, particularly in a show like this, whose entire premise is based on the character changing frequently, and suddenly find that you're not interested anymore, I'm sorry, but that kind of means you probably weren't that interested in the show. You were just interested in your poster. Mm-hmm. So you can keep your poster, and that's fine, <laughs> and go away. And if you want to find others, there are tons of other shows out there that will give you other pretty young people to look at. There's no, <laughs> there's certainly no, uh, you know, lack of that around. And, you know, next week the BBC will be announcing the release of the Peter Capaldi and the Speedo poster. So that's <laughs> good for everybody else that might want that one. Um, I will not be purchasing that. Neither will I, but I'm sure somebody no. would. Will he be leaning on the TARDIS, too? I think so. <laughs> well, Peter Capaldi with a Dalek. <laughs> Dear God. Yeah, I know. Oh. oh, there is an image I will never be able to purge from See? my skull. There you go. Yeah, it's funny you say the whole poster thing, too. Of course, when I was growing up uh, in the 80s, you know, back when there was electric, just discovering electricity, um, <laughs> on my walls, I had my Doctor Who posters. I had that sure. uh, that infamous, uh, uh, the one from the um, 20th anniversary Starlog oh, magazine. Right, right. Reprinted, yeah. So it was, uh, you know, Fifth Doctor and Tegan and Turlow in the fog. Yeah. Absolutely. I had that sucker on my wall. And, uh, you know, I, I, then of course when Colin got cast, I threw some Colin Baker posters on my wall. Sure. So. And then- Alongside, the, I didn't immediately rip down my Peter Davison <laughs> in a rage. <laughs> you are erased forever. <laughs> But the, the, getting back to the ages thing, it's it's something that also feels somewhat um, uh, fulfilling and appropriate in a way for anyone that's a fan of the show, particularly a longtime fan, and and it's eye opening too. This has been brought up quite a bit already, but it's it's really eye opening when you look at the numbers, which is that we've pretty much been so convinced by this point that we would never see a man. Well, sir, I would never have thought a man in his late 40s, much less into his 50s, ever cast again as this character. Yeah. That the cult, again, that the culture we exist in is a culture that very much skews to a younger demographic, that you need a young, pretty person at the lead of everything, and that that's the way it was going to stay. And that is not to say, by the way, that certainly Christopher Eccleston was a little bit older than, than what I'm describing, and brilliant. And that is not to say that David Tennant and Matt Smith weren't also both fantastic in the role in their own specific ways. But they also fit a certain style of television that's now all over the place and never thought this would happen. And then to look at the numbers, the fascinating thing for those few of you out there that might not know is that we have now come full circle. Here we are in the 50th anniversary year. We've just found out who the 12th Doctor will be, who will be debuting uh, by the end of this year. And he will be 55. He's 55 years old, which, coincidentally, is exactly the age that William Hartnell was when he debuted in the show in 1963. So we've come all the way back around to casting another actor who is equally as old as the oldest actor that ever played the role and the first actor that ever played the role. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Not, I mean, especially if you look back, I, I, it's tough to convince me that he was only 55. I Hard know. Hell, I mean. Even when you see him with the wig off, it's like, my God, aging was a little different back then. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Capaldi looks pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I would never think that he wasn't, like, maybe in his 40s. But, you know, it's, he's, it's different. It's just different. Well, I suppose. Arnold had a lot of pressure. 
Um, it's funny. We, we, I was just thinking about when you know you and I were together at at Gallifrey, and we had conversations with people associated with the show, who, who flat out told us that uh, they would never cast an older actor in the role again. This will never happen again. They will, it will never happen. Yeah, it's a little disheartening to hear. It but, was. Um, and then this comes along, and that's and this, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and and a time period. I don't know how much we'll go into this right now, but at a time period where I know here's one thing where. We're both pretty much on the same page with our uh, relative disappointment with certain other aspects of how the show is going these days. This is a pretty nice piece of news that suggests the possibility of, well, not only a, a, an amazing performance, which is certainly a guarantee with somebody like him, but some interesting changes might be coming along considering the fact that they're skewing a little bit older with him now, so... Yeah, maybe they'll, you know, treat things a little bit more maturely or, or maybe he won't pirouette around the TARDIS as much. Yeah, I mean, that's fine the first 50 times, but somehow <laughs> the 51st time you do that, you start to feel like you're just kind of doing it to do it. So yeah. I don't know what yeah, quality will do, but. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of hopping. Maybe yeah, hopping. Hopping. Uh, and cursing. <laughs> and cursing. That's what we gotta mention actually too. And the weird thing yeah. is I've never seen it. And I know that there'll be people that'll think I'm crazy then, but I will definitely seek it out. I've seen clips of it, but, uh, he's probably now most well known, certainly recently, for playing another iconic character, which is Malcolm Tucker in the show In the Thick of It, in which he plays, um, a sort of political fixer, a, a spin doctor, a doctor. And, uh, they had a, a film spinoff of that, uh, in the loop, which also, uh, got a lot of attention and acclaim for his performance. So, going from that role, which was extremely edgy and dark and, uh, certainly profane, <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting to see him become a family icon and a children's hero, which right. I, I'm sure he is completely and utterly capable of doing. Oh yeah, and and being a lifelong fan of Doctor Who, apparently, I'm I'm sure he knows exactly what he's getting into, and is probably looking forward to that kind of a role. Yes, and not only a lifelong fan, but as they showed on the live thing, that he'd written a letter to the Radio Times when he was a kid uh, about Doctor Who, and someone has also turned up a fanzine article that he wrote about the uh, tunnel uh, title sequence. Mm. The John Pertwee, Tom Baker tunnel title scene. He'd written it. I haven't seen that. Yeah. So we've got somebody here who, in a way, it's sort of like David Tennant also, someone who grew up with, and in contrast in a way to Matt Smith, who absolutely, I felt, did did a great job easing into the part and coming up with some great stuff, but was very vocal about not having been a fan when he started Mm -hmm. out. But Capaldi certainly knows his stuff, and... While that's not necessarily important or that matters in terms of acting, it's certainly a nice bonus. Two longtime fans of two bionic shows discuss an episode in detail every two weeks with one guest host the six million dollar man the bionic woman the mythology a look behind the scenes those sound effects and the fashions oh my god the fashions cyborgs a bionic podcast 
hosted by John S. Drew and Paul K. Bisson. Find us at chronicrift.com slash cyborgs or subscribe on iTunes. I've been wondering about the um, the older, I mean, the classic series uh, actors that played the Doctor and what their response to this casting news is. Uh, I would imagine they're they're probably pretty pleased to see a a more mature Doctor back in the TARDIS. <laughs> I would think so. All these whippersnappers have been coming in. Although, I mean, to, to be fair, I mean, Peter was a whippersnapper when he took over. He was. As the fifth. Yeah, he had set a record at the time. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was only just shattered by Matt Smith himself. So, yeah. And Peter Davison still remains my favorite Doctor, so it's not like I've always thought, oh, Doctor always needs to be an older guy. It's not the case at all. But it is nice to know that that's not a door forever shut and that yeah. that can happen. So, I'm not, I mean, obviously we're in a weird area now, which often happens with this kind of stuff. We now know who it is. We don't know anything about, uh, then there's the, the laundry list, particularly for fans who want everything and want to know what's going on and what's he going to wear, you know, is he going to use his own accent, which is actually a question I have. I'd like to hear him just talk like himself. And I hmm. think it would have been interesting if Tennant had just been, you know, let go and it's like, just talk like yourself. So I don't know. That's, that's a question that's, that's up right now. Will he affect some sort of accent? Uh, what's his costume? You know that. What you know? What's the attitude going to be? It's interesting that he tends to have sort of a darker kind of look to him, no matter what. He just has that look. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a darker figure. But I've heard more than one person mention that he would also have been a phenomenal choice for the master. Mm, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, and and seeing that in him, I'm thinking that says to me, oh well, a darker doctor would be interesting. So, we've certainly gone down that road before, but, you know, it could be interesting to see what happens. I've been wondering, too, because of the, you know, the whole mythology that's been established over the years about, you know, the 12 incarnations, and, and I wonder if... 13, maybe in, 13. Well, yeah, sorry, 13, but, yeah, 12 regenerations. Uh, but uh, I, I almost wonder if Moffat took that on board, or the people that he works with, uh, to some extent, to explore age a little bit more. Like, would it have been wise to have a young face so late in the doctor's life, uh, so to speak? But I mean, obviously, the, I mean, go ahead. No, I mean, that's that's an interesting idea, except that would suggest that they might actually acknowledge that he is coming to the end, mm -hmm. which is not likely. I'm just saying that. I don't think well, it's likely. I think we've pretty much thrown that out the door. One of, one of the things that I also think is one of the most maddening things I have encountered many times over in fandom is this constant obsession with the 13 incarnations, 12 regenerations thing, which comes up I, – I know somebody out there already has the list in front of them – three or four times maybe in the course of the entire classic series, and then throughout the new show – there have been a few occasions where they've deliberately played against that. Most famously in a Sarah Jane episode, which I don't want to hear about the argument. Oh, it was a spinoff. Never mind. It's all part of it. Where Russell threw in a joke about Matt Smith's doctor saying he can regenerate like over 500 times or something crazy. And, mm -hmm. um, it's just, as I used to say many years ago to some people online, and, and this has come up again. I've seen it come up again. I can't believe it comes up, but it does, which is people saying, oh my god, they're nearly at the end. 
they better wrap it up when number 13 gets cast. It's like, right, this incredibly successful production that sparks millions in merchandise and ancillary sales to other countries and all that, 50 years of entertainment and adventure. But since a few people a few years ago wrote something about that he can only have 13 bodies despite all the evidence to the contrary, they're going to shut it down. There's going to, there's a big lever in the BBC that says shut down Doctor Who as soon as the 13th Doctor dies and that's the end of it. That is the stupidest thing. What, they're not going to do that? No, they're not going to do it. Well, no, okay, I, I just want to make a couple comments. Okay, first of all, never forget that Troughton said, the second doctor said that he could live forever barring accidents. Accidents. So that's always, you know, that's a great little, people can always default to that. But here's my thing. Here's my thoughts. Um, over the last uh, couple of years, even, even under uh, Russell Davies, the problem is that the doctor has been proven to be essentially unbeatable um, you could say and, that about a lot of heroic characters though sure sure but when we used to watch the show going way way back mm -hmm. there was always that sense that you know this could be it the the doctor may not be able to 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 come out of this even alive if you know he may regenerate but he also may come not come out of this alive mm -hmm. you know there was always that th that threat but as it's gone on it's gotten to the point where you know, Matt Smith's doctor in particular can just stand up to a foe and say, you know who I am? I'm the doctor, so please leave. I do think the thing that it, that it's gotten to the point of him being able to shut down entire threats by saying, look me up, which of course goes back to Russell's error as well, too. Sure. Um, is a little excessive. But what I was going to say is that by casting, by maybe, maybe at least re-embracing that original idea of the 13 lives thing, mm -hmm. you maybe can re-embrace that idea of vulnerability. It's a and very I, interesting idea. I've never thought of it that way before. Like, what if suddenly he says, you know what, I only have one more chance. And then you're like, oh, God. And, but then, of course, they can reset it after that. Oh, sure they could. But, but why not bring that back into the fold and play with that a little bit more and start to get the audience wondering if that might be the last, you know, those, the second to last. Uh, <laughs> that's a really uh, nice doctor. idea. I've never really thought about it that way before. I mean, some years ago, I started working on a story, not to toot my own horn, but I do it all the time anyway, so, f you know, screw it. That's fine. Um, I almost used the F word. Uh, <laughs> but I, I started working on a story, and it was called um, Where Time Lords Fear to Die. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea was that it was the doctor facing mortality. Mm -hmm. And it had to do with a, a, essentially an old folks' home, a, a nursery, um, a nursing home, nursing care facility for uh, aging time lords. Uh, or on their final incarnation, and uh, and it was about transferring their minds into the matrix and that uh, that whole thing, and that's all stuff that I think is can really be explored in the show, but has been hasn't really been, and I it would be an interesting direction to go, not to make it so this is this <laughs> next few seasons are all going to be about old people, but uh, I mean at least I don't know I wonder if they're going to open that up to something like that. I think that's fascinating, and I think that's a beautiful way of. As you were saying before, re-injecting a little bit of suspense into something that otherwise becomes so predictable on a certain level that you know your hero is always going to get out of it and creating a little bit more tension. But also this grander idea of exploring the idea of age and it's like, yeah, no, it doesn't necessarily all have to be about that. But, but my God, why can't our culture deal with age a little bit more? <laughs>
Right. You know, we don't do it enough, really. There's not a lot that does that. And I don't know, you know, you, you hit a certain age, you start thinking about that. And we're not exactly old necessarily, but you know, you start, you, you start thinking, yeah, it's not all about being young forever. And that, this is a character that would be an incredible, uh, character to use to explore that. And they have in the past. I mean, there have been Doctor Who stories in the past that have dealt with issues related to his sense of mortality and his age. In fact, famously, if anybody is familiar with some of the classic stuff, um, famously in Pyramids of Mars, Tom Baker's story, he seems to be having something of like a middle midlife crisis, and they deal with that for a few minutes, which is about as much as the classic series might have ever spent delving into maybe a more deeper emotional or character issue. Yeah. But um that would that the whole Europe that's just middle aged. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's that that would be really interesting. I like that idea a lot. Whether that will happen we'll we'll see. Yeah, exactly. But, we, we we don't know. And then of course, you know, you have to factor in the whole John Hurt nonsense because Right. Who well, knows that what, pretty much that's gonna get resolved. <laughs> that pretty much encapsulates what we're thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> the whole John Hurt nonsense. Um yeah. I was going to say, actually, talking about the the thirteen body limit though thing, um, was that it was also something that I never understood why fans were agonizing so much about it when it always seemed to me, regardless of like you say whether they re-embrace it or not, which would be very interesting. It always seemed to me the new series had instantly handed everyone a solution with the very first episode, the time war. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not only that, by the time you got to the end of Russell T. Davis era and the end of David Tennant's era with End of Time, it had become completely explicit that the Time Lords had resurrected everyone. Rassilon, the Master, uh, the Doctor's mother, by the way, folks, Claire Bloom, <laughs> the Doctor's mother, look it up. Um, they were resurrecting everybody. How many, and, and one thing I will give, uh, this idea with the John Hurt Doctor, and we don't quite know exactly how it's going to play out, but I can't imagine it's not time war related. Might be surprised, but it seems like it would be. How do you know how many there were? How do you know there weren't 40 doctors during the time war? How do you know mm-hmm. there weren't 100? And if the time war happened the way it happened, and from what little we've seen, and the way the master was brought back, there's now no reason to assume the doctor has any limit at all. Or perhaps that he's at the beginning of another one. Or where does Eccleston? Maybe he was number one or number three. None of it, there's no way of knowing until they tell you. Yeah. So the whole limitation thing is something that, in a way, the way you described it, would have to be re-embraced to, to nail it down and give it some kind of weight if they wanted to explore that kind of thing. But I would, I would find that, I think that could be a lot of fun to see. Him dealing with that. It might, you know, at the very least, you know what might happen? Is they might actually play with the idea that he's just been very, very young and relatively young for quite a long time over the last couple incarnations and now in an older body. The question now is, will this be a doctor that's happy with that or unhappy with that? Hmm. And whether Capaldi will play the idea of, oh, thank God I feel more like myself now or I can't believe what I've just lost. Right. And either way could be interesting. Cause, you know, and you know what? That's another thing. One of the cliches that has been going on for years in Doctor Who, especially starting with Peter Davison, was the idea of the old man trapped in a young man's body. What if now it's like he's a young man trapped in an old man's body? Mm-hmm. 
they could completely reverse that kind of idea. Yeah. And uh, and maybe he could take advantage of it to some degree. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, they didn't used to treat me like this before. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> when I had that fresh young face. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but of that's... course, now we're making him sound like he's like 80 years old. <laughs> that's right. We've already established that he's, you know, he still has sort of a youngish look yeah. to him. He has a strange old young face. <laughs> is it open as well? It's a pleasant open face, yes. <laughs> oh dear God, get a bandage on that. <laughs> oh. oh, I did notice, by the way, I was going to mention this earlier, that it was, it was really cute when, uh, he walked out, a lot of people have noticed it, when he walked out on the live thing. And stopped for a second to pose for people. He put his hands on his lapels just like Hartnell used to do. Yeah. Yeah. And of course there's a side by side photo going around. Yeah. That's very cute. Yeah. And it's like, here's somebody who knows his history and, uh, it's just really nice. Nice touch. Walked on him. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Well, I think, uh, I think we kind of touched base on uh, where we, where we stand in regards to Capaldi. I, I think you and I for sure are, are very pleased. Very happy uh, with that. Choice, it, yes. Certainly with the choice. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Moffat's show. That's right. It's <laughs> yeah. a good way of putting it. <laughs> without, uh, I, without. I look forward to seeing Peter Capaldi in Doctor Who. As the doctor, until that time, it'll be interesting to see how he handles Moffat's show. Yeah. <laughs> um, not looking forward to Capaldi's doctor's first adventure with the stunningly, uh, non-entertaining Victorian trio, but, you know, we'll see about that. You know, when, when a Santaran says, uh, blowing something up and that's funny the first time and it really isn't funny the first time, it really works the 36th time. It's amazing how that works. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep saying you're going to blow something up. It keeps getting funnier. It's incredible. Well, anyway, all I have to say to Peter Capaldi is, hello, sweetie. (laughs) No, don't. No. Let's hope not. No, all I have to say is Peter Capaldi is welcome aboard the TARDIS, and we, it's, we're looking forward to, uh, to seeing what he has to do for us. It's gonna be great. Oh, I think it's safe to say they like you. Um, Peter, congratulations. Thank Your you first much. official appearance as the 12th Doctor. How relieved are you? It's so wonderful not to keep this secret any longer. <laughs> And thanks for listening to this episode of the G2B Podcast, now part of the Chronic Rift Network at chronicrift.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, visit our website at g2bpodcast.com, join our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at G2B Podcast. And if you have any comments or questions, send them to us at contact at g2bpodcast.com. Our show music is by Brian Boyko and Frank Nora. Okay, that's it. That's it. This is it. Um, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done.